Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. I want to invite you this morning to join me for the last time in the book of the Revelation, chapter 22. We have come to the last chapter of the last book in the Bible. And as is often said, Revelation brings the Bible to its perfect end. Uh, It is indeed the right conclusion to God's grand redemptive story. And as we walk through these final verses, we're going to see this morning that our God is what we all know him to be. He is a missionary God. And not only is he a missionary God, he is a God who has an evangelistic heart and impulse in all that he says. And so it's not surprising that Revelation chapter 22 constitutes what I'm calling God's final invitation. Look with me, if you would, beginning at verse 6, and we'll read through the remainder of the chapter. And he, that is the angel of verse 1, said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirit of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And then the Lord Jesus speaks, and behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant. I am a doulos. I am a slave with you and your brothers, the prophets. And with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, and the final of the seven blessings in the book of Revelation. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexual immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of the prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. 
The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Our God takes delight in inviting people to come to him, to come and be satisfied in him, to come and be saved. And so in the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, we see God once again extending an invitation to the lost of this world, come to me and be saved. Now, when you study the Bible, you discover this is not unique. In fact, from Genesis to Revelation, God again and again invites people to come and enter into an intimate relationship with him, to come and be saved and to come and be satisfied in him. Let me just highlight one from the Old Testament and several from the New Testament. For example, Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, the Bible says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Our Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Back when we looked at the final uh, letter to the final church in the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, you will remember this very famous verse, Behold, the Lord Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. And as I read a moment ago in verse 17, we see again one additional, one final invitation. Both the spirit and the bride say come. Anyone who hears should say come. And let the one who is thirsty, he should come. Whoever desires should take the living water as a gift. And so one last time at the very last chapter of the very last book, God says, come to me and be saved. Now, in Revelation chapter 22, verses 6 through 21, we do come to these final words of our Lord. And therefore, because they are the final words of the final chapter of the final book of the Bible, I would like to suggest this morning they are very important words. Uh, they are words that we should take to heart, and they are words that we should weigh and think through very, very carefully. And as we walk through these verses in just a moment, we're going to actually see seven final invitations that God gives, and we will see that two particular themes dominate these last verses of the apocalypse. One is the reliability and the authenticity of the book, and the other is the imminency of the end. And so God says, those who have an ear, let them hear. Here comes his final seven invitations to his people. Invitation number one, obey the word of God. That's what we see in verse six and uh, verse seven. My friend Scott Duvall points out that there are very interesting parallels with the epilogue, the end of Revelation, with its prologue in chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And he sees not just two, but three particular themes that dominate these verses. Number one, the book is an authentic prophecy from God. Number two, Jesus Christ's return is imminent. And number three, those who obey the prophecy, they will be 
blessed. So, the angel who spoke back in verse 1 of this chapter speaks again, and he says, these words, that is the words of the revelation, these words are trustworthy, and they are true. They are reliable, and they are dependent. Because their source is God, you can believe them. Because their source is God, you can trust them. Indeed, I think it appropriate for us to describe God's Word, as we often do in theological terms, as both inerrant and infallible. I still remember when I was in seminary, uh, taking a class with a very kind, gracious man. It was advanced Greek. And I remember him coming into the class one day and making this statement. I believe in an inerrant God who has revealed himself in a reliable source. I believe in an inerrant God who has revealed himself in a reliable source. And as he went on to teach during that semester, it became very clear he did not believe in inerrancy. He did not believe in the Bible's infallibility. Oh, he believed the Bible was inspired, but primarily in the areas of theology and uh, moral and spiritual practice, but in other areas like history and, and science and philosophy, uh, there may be those occasions where you find error in the Bible. Well, I do agree with his first premise. I, too, believe in an inerrant God. But because the Bible is God's Word, I also believe in an inerrant book as well. And here the Bible says that we can trust this book because the words are faithful and the words are true. Indeed, as 2 Peter chapter 1 reminds us, God spoke through the prophets and he picked them up and bore them along by his Holy Spirit to ensure that what we read we can trust and what we read we know is faithful. In verse 7, the Lord Jesus now suddenly steps in and speaks, and again, he addresses the imminency and also the certainty of his coming. Behold, I am coming soon. And then he follows that up with a word of blessing. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. In other words, in light of the anytime return of the Lord Jesus Christ, what should be our response? Obedience. Obedience. We should diligently and consistently obey God's Word, and those who do so, as they were back in chapter 1 and verse 3, are promised to be blessed by God. I like what the commentator Dennis Johnson says about this particular verse. He says, Scripture is not a passive cadaver waiting for curious medical students to dissect it in their quest for information. It is a living, double-edged sword that proceeds from the mouth of the triumphant Son of Man and pierces the thoughts and intents of our hearts. It is a hammer that shatters a seed that grows, rainfall that never returns to its giver without accomplishing the mission on which he sent it. Scripture has a job to do in us. And the very first invitation we see in God's Word is that we should obey the Word of God. Invitation number two, be true to the worship of God. Be true to the worship of God. John affirms, John affirms that he is the one who both heard and saw these things, that is, the messages and visions of Revelation. And understandably, 
What he saw was overwhelming. Think back to the seal judgments of chapter 6. Think back to the trumpet judgments of chapters 8 and 9. Think back to the bowl judgments of chapter 16. Think back to the revelation of the Antichrist and the false prophet in chapter 13. The picture of the great harlot Babylon in chapter 17 and 18. The wonderful, glorious second coming of Christ in chapter 19. My goodness. I think I would be overwhelmed as well. And so the Bible says that John, when I, he, he says, when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But look at what the angel says in verse 9. Immediately, the angel commands him, you must not do that. It's a present imperative with a negative, which uh, you would understand actually means stop doing that. Stop that. Uh, get back up. Don't drop to your knees before me. Why? Because, John, I am an angel, and to worship anything other than God is idolatry. He says there in verse 9, I'm a fellow servant, a fellow slave with you and your brothers, the prophets, who keep and obey the words of this book. In other words, this great angel that has provided this revelation of the book of Revelation says, I'm a servant, John, just like you. And therefore, be careful, uh, watch out, think correctly. There's one and only one who is to be worshipped, and of course, that is God. Now, let me make a very important observation for us. John already made this same mistake back in chapter 19 and verse 10. And he's already received the same warning back in chapter 19 and verse 10. But that gives me hope because, you know, I'll be honest, sometimes there are lessons in the Bible I don't get the first time or the second time or the third time or the fourth time. But thankfully, we have a wonderful, gracious father who continues to care well for his children, and he will come back to us again and again and again and again to get us on the right track. Uh, I remember when I was a little boy that uh, I, I loved to sit with my, my grandmother when I went to church. You say, why did you like to sit with your grandmother? Because grandparents are cool, and they'll let you get away with things that your parents will not allow. And so one of the reasons I like sitting with my grandmother is because when we had the Lord's Supper, even though I had not yet uh, come to know Christ in a saving way, whenever we had the Lord's Supper, uh, my mother... Uh, who was one of the kindest, sweetest ladies who ever walked the planet, but could give any Pharisee a run for their money, she would not, no, no, no. No, no, you can't do that. And I didn't understand why. I mean, she said, well, you're not a Christian. What do you mean I'm not a Christian? I come to church as much as you do. Every time you're here, I'm here. Every time, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, choir practice was on Thursday night. So I was at church as much as she was, but when the Lord's Supper would go by, I would try to get my hand in the plate even before Mama could stop me, and she'd pop my hand, and of course, I'd start crying, and I'd get a little lecture. Well, Grandmama was different. Even though my grandmother knew that I was not a Christian, she didn't think, ah, oh, it's not such a big deal. If I slide a little cracker into the hand of my little sweet, precious, darling grandson, and so she would always allow me to get one of those little wafers and at least have a little sip of her, of her juice, and uh, I'm not going to commend uh, her doing that, but I appreciated her doing it. Well, anyway, even though she was my grandmother and she would let me get away with a lot, she wouldn't let me get away with everything. 
And my grandmother had a very particular way of dealing with me when I misbehaved. If I did something I ought not to do, she'd look over me with a very stern grandmotherly face, and she would say, no, stop that. And, of course, being a little boy, I knew, ah, she's not serious yet. That's just kind of the first salvo. I, I can still continue in my misbehavior a little while longer, and so I would. And the next thing I know, she'd put her hand over on my leg, and she'd pat it. And I'd look up at her, and she'd, with a little sterner face, and say, no, 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 you, you, you need to stop that. Well, again, I knew this wasn't the final straw. You know, the guillotine wasn't about to fall quite yet. And so I continued to misbehave. And then what my grandmother did... I believe it's something she learned by watching WWF all those years. She had an absolute killer lethal nerve hole. My grandmother would very gently put her arm around me, and she would take her thumb and her index finger, and she would lock down right there on my neck. And I really do believe before God, she actually touched her fingers together inside my body. And then I would look up at her, and she would say, stop it. And I would stop it. Now, here's my point. Our God is a good father, and he will try to get your attention by just saying, now, you ought not to do that. And then he'll move to patting you on the leg. And if necessary, though, he'll put his arm around you and put on you a lethal nerve hold. In fact, just to be blunt, he'll knock you flat on your backside to get your attention. Why? Because he's mean? No because he is a good, kind, gracious, loving father who never, ever gives up on his children. God didn't strike John dead for dropping to his knees once again and trying to worship an angel. No, he just once again says, no, 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 no. This is not what you ought to do. Even an angel is not worthy of worship. And he makes it crystal clear in what he says there at the end of verse 10, worship God. So the Bible teaches us to obey the Word of God. The Bible teaches us to be true to the worship of God. But number three, invitation number three, proclaim the truth of God. Unlike the prophet Daniel, who in chapter 12 in verse 4 was told, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end, John is now told just the opposite there in verse 10. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Why? why? Why is it different for John than it was for Daniel thousands of years earlier or hundreds of years earlier? Well, it's very clear. For the time is near. In other words, now Christ could return at any moment. Now eternity is about to dawn. For all of us, it's a heartbeat away. But now in the context of the revelation, we all ought to be living in light of the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, don't you seal up the prophecy. Don't you seal up the word of God. Don't you be disobedient and indifference and lazy or neglect God's word. Preach the word. Teach the word. Continually, faithfully abide in the word. Why? Because there is coming a time when the opportunity to be saved will be no more. Verse 11 is very somber words. It likewise echoes the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 9 and verse 10, where the Bible says, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Sounds just like what we just read. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked, they shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked 
shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. Basically, this simple verse contains four commands, words that are, first of all, warnings, but also words of encouragement. And what it says is this, is this is a very important theological premise. It affirms that a day is coming when change will no longer be possible. That will be true eschatologically, but it is also going to be true personally as well. Let me build upon that. I want to say it exactly, precisely the way I want to. How we respond to the truth of God's Word in this life will confirm our character and determine our destiny for all of eternity. Let me say that again. How we respond to the truth of God's Word in this life will confirm eventually our character and determine our destiny for all of eternity. In other words, just like the character of angels is fixed today, good angels will always remain good angels. Fallen angels, demons will always remain demons. They are fixed, set for all of eternity in their character. Well, when you and I leave this life and enter into eternity, our character, whatever it is, will be fixed and set forever, and there is no changing it once you enter into eternity. Sometimes people want to come up with what they call post-mortem opportunities for salvation. Sometimes those who I think have a, a heart for the lost people uh, begin to engage, I think, bad theological arguments, and they will say, well, you know, if someone never heard the gospel in this life, I think maybe they'll have another chance after life. They'll have another chance in eternity. They'll have a post mortem opportunity to be saved. Now, there's only one problem with that. Nothing like that is ever said in the Bible. Never, not once. Once you enter into eternity, your relationship with God is fixed and it is set forever. Thus, verse 11, the evildoer still does evil. And let the filthy still be filthy. And let the righteous still do right. And let the holy still be holy. In other words, those in hell will have no heart or passion for God. And those in heaven will delight in following the Lamb and obeying the Lord. And this is very crucial that we share and that we help people understand. There is coming a day when the opportunity to be saved will be no more. Number four, pursue the will of God. Just pursue the will of God. Verse 12 contains a third affirmation of the imminent return of Christ. There the Bible just simply says, the Lord Jesus speaking, behold, I'm coming soon. And then he goes on to say, and I'm bringing my recompense, my reward with me to repay everyone for what he has done. Once more, John echoes the language of the Old Testament here, uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 10, uh, as well as Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 10. There, Jeremiah says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. 
Robert Mount says it this way, the reward will be spiritual blessedness to the righteous, but judgment for those who are evil. It is the quality of a person's life that provides the ultimate indication of what that person really does believe. And then verse 13 makes clear the one who will render the judgment is fully qualified to do so. Why? We'll look at the three beautiful titles of our Savior there. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the A to Z. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. In other words, our Lord Jesus sees all. He knows all. Nothing you ever think, nothing you ever feel, nothing you ever do will escape him. Him. There is then finally in verse 14, the last of the blessings of the revelation. Blessed are those who wash their robes and make them white. Now, that's a very interesting phrase. It's about, I believe, the only time in the Bible where we're actually said to wash our robes. But blessed are those who wash their robes so that, number one, they may have the right to the tree of life, which was mentioned back in chapter 22 and verse 2. It would be mentioned again as the water of life in verse 17 and the tree of life again in verse 19. But blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right one to the tree of life. And secondly, that they may enter the city of the gates. Now, that is an interesting phrase. But I think my friend Scott Duvall is very helpful when he helps us understand that there is both in the Bible the washing of our justification, but there's also the ongoing washing of our sanctification. And I believe that is what John has in mind here. And this is what Scott Duvall says. In the first century context, this washing refers to persevering in faithfulness to Christ and refusing to compromise with the world even in the face of great suffering and tribulation. So we are to continue to progress and continue to grow in our sanctification, looking forward on the way to our ultimate glorification when we will be just like Jesus. Now, once more, verse 15 stands in stark contrast to verse 14. There in verse 14 are those who are blessed and get to go into the city by the gate. But outside verse 15 are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Now, again, if you don't know your Bible and you don't understand the imagery of the Bible at first blush, especially for those of us who love dogs, don't really understand what's going on here. Now, I would have understood it if the word had been cats, but I'm just playing. I'm just playing. If you're a cat lover, uh, God bless you. Or no, as, a, as good Southerners, God bless your heart which just simply means I don't know why you do that, but that's okay. You like your cats, fine, but I'm a dog person. And so you say, so there are not going to be any dogs in heaven. I thought all dogs go to heaven. Well, I'm holding out that hope. Uh, I certainly could understand it if that's uh, the case. But anyway, he's not talking about a canine. He's not talking about your poodle or your uh, cockadoodle or your uh, great Dane like we had. No, 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 no. Again, let me let Mounts unwrap this for us. 
John describes six or perhaps seven, depending upon how one views the two kinds of liars. He is describing types of evildoers who are excluded from the city. The term dog is used in Scripture for various kinds of impure and malicious persons. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 17 and 18, the term designates a male cult prostitute. In the Jewish culture of first century Palestine, it was used in reference to the heathen. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, Paul turns the tables and applies it to the Judaizers. And then he goes on, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral murderers, idolaters, and all liars are to be excluded along with the dogs to love and practice falsehood. Now listen to this, to love and practice falsehood is to be totally devoid of truthfulness. These have become like their leader, Satan, who leads the whole world astray. Invitation number five, respond to the invitation of God. Respond to the invitation of God. Jesus authenticates the message of Revelation in verse 16. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. And then he adds one final word of Christological insight. And once more, I was talking to one of uh, you walking back from chapel on Tuesday, uh, just talking about the book of Revelation. I said, you know, because he mentioned, isn't Jesus exalted and honored in the book of Revelation? I said, I think more than any book in the Bible. And that's why I struggle with Luther who said, well, I didn't ever preach on Revelation and I didn't ever write a commentary on Revelation because it just doesn't exalt Christ. And I just have to wonder, well, what book of Revelation, uh, Luther, were you reading? Because once more, he reminds us in verse 16, we saw this back in Revelation 5, I am the root and the descendant of David. In other words, I am before David as God, but I come after David as man, as one wrote it. He is the root and the fruit of David, but also he is the bright and morning star. The bright and morning star, of course, refers to the brightest star. And as one man said, it refers to the hope of a new day dawning. And of course, that's exactly what the Lord Jesus is for us. And then verse 17 contains the great invitation of the book of the Revelation. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And once more, we're reminded of the free gift of salvation. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Let him come. Charles Spurgeon, as only Charles Spurgeon can do it, says this, reflecting upon verse 17. To my mind, the solemnity of this invitation lies partly in the fact that it is placed at the very end of the Bible and placed there because it is the sum and substance, the aim and objective of the whole Bible. It is like the point of the arrow, and all the rest of the Bible is like the shaft and the feathers on either side of it. We may say of the Scriptures what John said of his gospel in chapter 20. These are written, all these books that are gathered together into one library called the Bible. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life through his name. 
So far as you are concerned, this blessed book has missed its purpose unless you have been led by it to come to Christ. It is all in vain that you have a Bible or read your Bible unless you really take the water of life of which it speaks. It is worse than vain, for if it is not a Savior of life unto life to you, it shall be a savor death unto death. Therefore, it seems to me that this is a very solemn invitation because all the books of the Bible do in effect cry to sinners, come to Jesus and be saved. Number six, heed the warning of God. Heed the warning of God, verse 18 and 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. I believe that's a hyperbole to describe just how dire doing such a thing would be. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of the prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Now, I think this warning is applied immediately to the book of Revelation. But I think ultimately it's applied to the totality of the Bible. Add to the book, and the Lord Jesus will add the plagues of revelation to you. And on the other hand, take away from it, and God will take away your share in the tree of life and in the holy city. John MacArthur, I think, gets to the uh, essence of what is going on here, and he writes this, quote, No true believer would ever deliberately tamper with the Scripture. Those who know and love God will treat his word with the utmost respect. They will say with the psalmist, oh, how I love your law and I delight in your law. That does not, of course, mean that believers will never make errors in judgment or mistakenly interpret Scripture incorrectly or inadequately. The Lord's warning here is addressed to those who engage in deliberate falsification or misinterpretation of Scripture. Those whom Paul would denounce as peddlers of the Word of God. Bottom line, believers love the Word, but unbelievers hate the Word. Believers obey the Word, but unbelievers disobey the Word. Believers receive the Word, but unbelievers reject the Word. Finally, number seven, pray for the coming of the Lord. Pray for the coming of the Lord. One last time in verses 20 and 21, the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lamb, speaks, and he simply says, he who testifies to these things says, one last time, surely I'm coming soon. And John simply says, amen. I agree. May it be, even so, come Lord Jesus. And then the Bible ends with a wonderful word of promise the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Taken as a whole, the end of Revelation calls us to do three things. To number one, watch. Number two, wait. And number three, witness. And it promises us that persecution, trials, suffering will probably be a threefold companion, but don't grow weary in well-doing. God sees God knows. God's with you. And God is working through you to advance his kingdom among the nations. You say, how do you know? One last time, 
Just look at the last verse in the Bible, Revelation 22, 21. There's our hope and there is our promise. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all. And so we too join the Apostle John in saying, Amen. We agree. We believe. Come soon, Lord Jesus. The end. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the study that we have had this semester through this wonderful, wonderful book. It is a challenging book in many ways, but it also is very clear in others. Bottom line, we are going to endure suffering and persecution in this life as we provide a faithful witness unto you. But Lord, we have the promise, one, of your presence, and number two, the promise that you are indeed coming again. So we do join our hearts with the Apostle John in saying, Lord, if it could be today, wonderful. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. But we also recognize that that is in your hands, not ours. And so until that glorious day, the blessed hope of your glorious appearing, may we be faithful to get that gospel to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, knowing that when we do, we are bringing glory to the Lamb who was slain but is now standing and is coming again. May we be faithful to that end. We pray and ask this all in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.